Hey everyone, Chris Lombardo here from the Really Awful Movies podcast. A reminder that our book, Death by Umbrella, The 100 Weirdest Horror Movie Weapons, is available on Amazon in soft, hard, and electronic versions. LA Weekly said this about our book. It's rich with context and analysis, gruesome, yet all in good fun, a celebration of the horror genre. It'd mean a lot to us if our listeners can pick up a copy, because we're really Patreon-averse and don't feel like charging our listeners. Ever. Death by Umbrella makes a great gift for the person that has everything, with the added benefit of being, you know, totally legal. So yeah, on with the show. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. I know what you're thinking. Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right? They're coming! The rats are coming! Thousands of them! Tell me. Tell me about Disneyland. You got tons of popcorn there. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go climb a tree. It was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Oh, good lord! It's it's unbelievable. It's it's horrible. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies Podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema. The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters. Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, and women in prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. From our downtown Toronto headquarters, here's episode 196, 2009's Friday the 13th. Otherwise known as probably the least necessary, least effective, most cynical, what other adjectives can we say? Uh, uh, yeah, D- depressing, overly slick. Um, you said unnecessary. Uh, redundant, not, but not even redundant because... At least with the first uh, Friday the 13th, we should say, first of all, that although this is meant to be a remake of Friday the 13th, it's not a remake of Friday the 13th Part 1. It really takes elements, I would say, of Friday the 13th 1, 2, and 3. So it kind of takes those three movies and matches it up into this sort of weird bully base of, uh, of, you know, 90 minutes. And what we're getting here is, yeah, you get the hallmarks of the series that we all know and love, Hmm. lots of boobs, lots of blood, lots of kills, uh, but it's just not effective, not scary. There's, the the character of Jason is, loses everything that made him cool in the very first place. He's not methodical, he's not graceful, uh, he's, he runs a lot, which is kind of, Hmm. I guess maybe that was something I wanted to add to the movie, but when you make a remake of a movie... You have to think to yourself, there's got to be some like, raison d'etre to do this. Other than just, just a single cash grab. There, there's something new that they want to bring to the table. A la, let's say, David Cronenberg's The Fly. 
or John Carpenter's a thing. But unfortunately, along comes Mr. Michael Bay and his Platinum Dunes production company. And this was a uh, sort of like a production company that he decided to uh, create and it would release horror films. And they released a whole bunch of not very good horror films in the early uh, 90s into the 2000s. I'm not 100% certain, but I believe the House of Wax remake was Platinum Dunes, although that wasn't so bad. Uh, I saw that in the theater. Yep. Uh, yeah. But then, yeah. Good the, kill. Yeah, well, the Paris Hilton kill was yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. Applauded yeah. uh, vigorously in the audience. Mm -hmm. But the thing with Platinum Dunes is that all, all the movies that they made, there was always this sort of slick cynicism to them. And then he decided to turn his attention to remakes. And in 2003, he hired... Uh, I'm not quite sure what is he is he Swedish or I think German German yeah yeah German director Marcus Nispel to helm a remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now TCM is considered to be amongst horror fans, especially especially amongst myself, one of the Holy Grails. And if you're going to remake it, I mean you know the TCM suffered um, through sequels of varying quality uh, there was you know the diminishing returns mm. i actually like part two very much you hated it go back and listen to our tcm part two podcast for that yeah not Mine so much you hated it i think we found a common ground mm. uh, but, yeah. but by the time they got to uh the one with uh, matthew mcconaughey and uh, renee zelger it was absolutely that was watchable. appalling yeah but so the tcm remake came about and jessica beale was in it um arlie ermy was in it it was i didn't hate it I mean, I, I just sort of said to myself, okay, this is definitely not going to be the late Toby Hooper's seminal Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's see what they do with it. I didn't hate it. You also watched it? Uh, I watched half of it, did not like it, but at least what can be said of that is it had a sort of a squalid, uh, kind of lurid, uh, like filthy aesthetic that mm. sort of fit the first one in a way, in the way that this one has, which doesn't fit the earlier elements of the series. Mm. So, but we'll get into that. Well, no, I'll get into it right now. Because mm. I actually wrote down, as I was watching the remake of Friday 13th, 2009, I wrote down the word grind porn. And that, to me, is Nisbell's sort of hallmark, is he'll decorate the set with as much filth and... Squalor and Squalor degradation, and yeah. detritus, and yeah. you know, and you know, here's a bone there, and here's a filthy pile of something with like maggots and rats in there, and he did that all throughout TCM 2000, which at least has a precedent right. because it's rotting f food and flies. Mm -hmm. That has that's what it seems like. There's connective tissue to this yeah. 74 source material. Whereas in this one, it wasn't pervasive throughout the entire movie like it was in TCM uh, 2003, but when they investigated Jason's shack. Or oh. should I say his grow up? And that's another thing <laughs> that we'll talk about later. Yeah, uh, there we go. There's the grind part. Well, the bear trap as well. So nod to the stupid Saw movies there, and it's yeah, the the, the torture porn element because this came around or right on the in the in the midst of that, just maybe to the tail end of that movement. So before we actually get into discussing this movie uh, more in depth, I just want to say that when this movie came out uh, in the cinemas opening weekend, I was there. I was. I took my. Then girlfriend, now mm -hmm. wife, we went to see it. I think I dragged her. I don't think she wanted to see it. Sure. But uh, yeah, we sat through the dispiriting 90 minutes. I got up. I left. I was like, that was kind of shit. There was really no reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a waste of 90 minutes of my life. I'll never get back. But it did well. You know, It's opening weekend. It, I think it set a record at that point for the highest grossing horror film up to 
there. I mean, that record has now been shattered by it, which you just saw recently. Like. I did, I did, and oh my god, that that's that is we like the Exorcist it, by so. com, by comparison. Yeah. Well, it's more charming than I thought it would be, mm -hmm. you know, pun intended, and. Uh, you know, over reliance on Pennywise, just constantly toward the end, and an overabundance of jump scares, fine. But all in all, it was a fairly solid effort, and I'm, I would, I'm game to see the next one. Mm. So it is, it was dubbed Chapter One. So obviously How does it more is coming to the, uh, the miniseries. Do you remember the miniseries? Uh, it was too long ago, but yeah, I think fairly favorably, not to the point. I mean, m when you contrast it with this, it just it, with Sully's your memories of the first three movies in a way like this beast is so different and i wanted to touch on the lair before i forget because oh before before uh, oh, okay. because mm, okay. yeah. yeah did you read the source novel did you read the, the stephen king uh, yes a very long time ago yeah so you, it's i know me too i read it so i read it when i was mm. 14 yeah so it'd be so hard for me to ask you to say oh that's that's not what happened in the book or that happened in the book it was too long ago but but terrific place setting it was just fantastic and they filmed part of it around here the mm -hmm. Alora gorge which is a place people go to whitewater raft and it was charming as all hell uh finn mcwolf something wolf the guy from the stranger, stranger things, things he's yeah. terrific mm -hmm. like the cast is like so charming and it was Funny as all hell. Bill Skarsgård is good. Is it, yeah, he's great. Like his grin is just some, uh, yeah, indelible. It's up there with uh, you know Nicholson and Batman. It, it's it's terrific. It was uh, it was over long. It went on for bloody ever. But well, the novel was over long. Yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't the stand over long. But I mean, my God, uh, I guess my expectations were so low, and I was I was charmed by it. Mm. Okay, so the lair. You want to talk about the lair? Uh, this is lair. Uh, this, this is ridiculous, and I'm going to come at this from a sort of uh, orthogonal, weird, circular point of mm -hmm. view, but I, I... Okay, there's source material, and then you can stray from it to reboot something, but there has to be certain hallmarks that you come to expect from someone like Jason. I like the fact that he's... that he... he, he tormented a place called Crystal Lake, but Crystal Lake is sort of nebulous. It, it, it lives in the imagination of people who go camping, mm -hmm. and you think that it could be anywhere. And the fact that this guy's got this underground, you know, demonic See, hellscape, I, I think that's yeah, terrible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. doesn't fit the character at all. I like the fact it's this guy who could be anywhere. I, I feel like I'm camping in northern Ontario. I'm like, Jason could be here. Where is Crystal Lake? I think it's in New Jersey. I don't know where, it, but it doesn't matter. It, we've all been to camp. It could be anywhere. And the fact that this guy's got a house, which is fine if you live in the bush, you have a makeshift shack, and then when the cops come, you build another one, like the Unabomber, and you go do another one. That's fine. You're constantly on the loose. But this underground lair, it was well, like they TCM'd this movie. Yeah, so you had the underground lair, and then uh, he's also a fucking horticulturist. I mean, the guy yeah. is literally... <laughs> growing marijuana mm -hmm. and his first set of kills uh it's, it, one thing that's kind of unique about this movie is the cold well, open <laughs> well yeah there's a cold opening in the sense that <laughs> the events of friday part one where spoiler alert the killer is jason Voorhees' mother etc mm. that is pretty much done during the opening credits and so that's that and the only sort of difference is that we actually see young deformed Jason watching as his mother gets off by a machete by one of the I guess counselors and uh, then yeah. he rob zombified this yeah and then Jason picks up the machete and the next thing you know we're we're confronted with another group of teenagers and again these teenagers like there's not one Jenny or Alice or you know or Tommy Jarvis or anybody memorable and these are people that heard a rumor that there's a bunch of weed in the neighborhood that they can, uh, or a bunch of weed in the vicinity yeah. that they can pilfer. 
And in doing so, they raise the ire of Jason, and they get slaughtered. And of course, you got the obligatory scene around the campfire, <laughs> telling telling the story of Crystal Lake. The exposition's uh, got to go on for about ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. And weirdly enough, twenty three minutes into this movie, we finally get the title card. So that was a, that was weird. I mean, interesting, yeah, weird. The only other movie I remember where the title appeared so deep into the movie was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, <laughs> where you're just settled back and you're like, all of a sudden, oh, here's the here's yeah, credits. Yeah, yeah. But that was an art film. That was wonderful. This was just weird. And then we're introduced to the, the, our new set of victims. But before that, uh, I want to get back to the story of me singing opening weekend, and it made lots of money. And everybody was happy. All the bean counters at you know Paramount and Platinum Dunes were happy, and they were already putting into uh, you know putting into gears to make a, a sequel to this one. And then in its second weekend, it experienced the most precipitous drop of any movie that opened with that much money at number yeah, one. Number one, yeah. It, it dropped by over eighty percent, mm. and it had pretty much anemic second week grosses, and then it disappeared. And I can only attribute that to really bad word of mouth uh, because it's. Not a good movie. And just getting back to this whole remake thing, I mean, we've been inundated still with lots and lots. Even It is a remake, you know. Yeah. I don't want to consider the, the miniseries. But then uh, one year later, they turned their attention to the other part of the Holy Trinity, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then we had the god-awful reimagining or remake of that with Jackie Earl Haley as, as Freddy Krueger. He wasn't that bad, but the script did not serve him well. I remember it was, um, was it, I don't even remember, is it Mara Rooney or Rooney Mara, whatever? She was, you know, the, the Nancy. I mean, she's <laughs> no Heather Ryan Camp. She's still walking. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so this, this, these are just terrible remakes. Why did they make them? I don't know. You know, again, what was the resonance of What did they want to add to the mythos? What did they want? Nothing. Well, I guess just a lot, a lot of sleeves. And in addition to the lair, you have like a lot a, of uh, silicone-filled breasts. Yeah. Well, yeah. This was this was a, a part of this is a bizarre thing to take to quibble with and maybe take umbrage with. But I like the early Friday films for loss of innocence. There's a difference between a loss of innocence and people who aren't innocent and who are just, uh, I guess, like vulgar. Exhibitionist. So the original Friday, you have people who, like us, wanted to like run off, pair off with their chick, and get laid in the woods. Mm -hmm. Like that, that is an experience everyone can relate to. These people, as you mentioned, the silicone tits. There's a conversation that's going on about GPS, and the one woman in the party who's subsequently murdered very quickly. She's flashing the guy in the midst of his conversation, and then doing the striptease in a, in a way that. Like, maybe I'm a prude. I don't know anyone in my circle of friends who would do this. And these people are really reprehensible vulgarians. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a scene with topless wakeboarding, which didn't strike me as, like, that's not going out and catching, like, you know, getting a blowjob in the woods or, like, playing with, like, going skinny dipping. It was just, like, these people were practically porn stars. Mm -hmm. And they just upped all the ante for squalor and filth and degradation. Yeah. No, I mean, whereas the slashy genre, I mean, the hallmarks really are... The, the blood and the boobs and the body mm. count. In the original Friday the 13th, especially in the first few, I mean, it just seemed more innocent, more organic, more germane to what was... Ha I mean, a lot of it... A lot of, a lot of people actually read those films as, like, you know, a cautionary tale for, you know, 
premarital sex or you know, yeah. if you're gonna fuck before marriage, if you're gonna if you're a teenager and you're gonna have sex, you're gonna smoke some weed, whatever, you're gonna die. So in a, lot, in a way, a lot of these er, the early slashes are very conservative in that sense. Yeah, in a sense. But with this one, it's it's like okay, we're gonna be as cynical as possible. We know that boobs are gonna sell tickets, so let's put in as many as we possibly can. And you didn't have that feeling of innocence. You didn't have that feeling of relatability. It just felt perfunctory. And after that first group of people, of people get dispatched, yeah, we meet another group of people, and they're heading out. There's like this alpha male douchebag character, and <laughs> yeah, they're course. heading up to his father's cabin in the woods, mm. and they're a, a racially diverse group. But I feel that you know, the fact they're racially diverse was really it was good. But then they would wallow perpetually in stereotypes. I mean, you had, um, you know, the, the black guy would say, oh, I'm the black guy, so you're doing this to me. Yeah, and like, oh, I want to I want to produce an album, and the chick with him says, oh, rap album? And he goes, why do you go to go racial? Uh, can't a black guy be into Green Day? And it's like, yeah, yeah. And then, like, and so then you just goes, waste all this. Right. And, and then he is into rap. Yeah, and, and then goes, so what, like, what's your album, uh, what's your what's your genre? And then he goes, rap, you know. Yeah. And then there's the Asian who's, Kind of like the I don't know the nerdy one. I don't know, it was like, yeah, yeah, he's he's like yeah. They they play drinking games and you know he they they chant like shoot the boot, shoot the boot, and the mm-hmm. guy drinks out of some guy's like uh, mm-hmm. like uh, smelly sneaker, drinks this booze out of the sneaker. So yeah, the, the whole thing was just. Mm-hmm. And they also have uh, Danielle Pennebaker, and she played well, sort of like the final girl. And she's a really charming actress on The Flash. I don't know if you watch TV's The Flash. Uh, I've, I've seen parts of it. I was going to say, like, Jared Padalecki as well from, I think, Supernatural and uh, Gilmore Girls. Like, they had two, like, legit actors, both of them, mm-hmm. and then surrounded by a cast of non-actors. It's interesting because uh, Jared Padalecki's co-star in Supernatural. I've never seen the show, but I, I, I know Anson Mount was in another horror remake that we talked about, which, which I feel was much more successful my Blade Valentine 3D. Oh, it was fantastic, yeah. yeah. It's so full of life and vigor. So, uh, Daniel Pennebaker, I mean, she's charming and wonderful on the fly. She plays Caitlin Snow. She was also in one of the uh, Piranha remakes. And she always plays, you know, the nice girl, kind of like sexy yet, you know, approachable. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit bookish, what have you. But in this movie, she was not served by her co-star. She was not served by the plot. And she was a cipher like every other character. <laughs> uh, also, uh, with the dispatching of the first people and the first scene altogether, I mean, I thought the black and white flash plot uh, dispatching of Jason's flash mother. Black. Flash plot, I mean, like the oh, lighting was like flash uh, white. Light. It was black and white, yeah, and, yeah. Then the, and then there was teeming rain, I believe. It was like a thunderstorm and lightning. It was terrible. And then you get like a sense of the real... Uh, just degradation by the way this one, I believe her name is Whitney, I, I think, she gets beaten and burned uh, in a sleeping bag mm-hmm. hung upside down. And that's sort of beyond the pale because in previous incarnations of Jason, he's sort of a quick kill and get out. He is not a torturer in a way that he uses a bear trap well, here. He, he, he carries he a woman back to his yeah. lair. He mm-hmm. like, And then he burns someone to death. I mean, this is sadistic even by the standards of Jason mm-hmm. Voorhees, which is weird. I, again, maybe it's just taking, uh, just accommodating a new audience for whom this stuff would not be as, as uh, shocking, maybe, like butt sex and, and, and burning alive and all this stuff, just upping the ante of gore and, and degradation, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, so as I mentioned before, this movie, again, it's not a remake of Friday the 13th, Part 1 proper, um, it, because it takes elements of 2 and 3. In other words, in Part 2, now the killer is no longer 
Mrs. Voorhees, now the killer is Cason himself. And in part two, and we also podcasted that one as well, I really like that because he's a different sort of Jason. He's professionally dubbed sidekick Jason, like <laughs> yeah. fans of the series. And in this one, when we first meet Jason the Elder, <laughs> it almost sounds yeah. like, a, you know... A, <laughs> Pliny the Elder from uh, ancient Greek uh, uh, philosophy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when we meet Jason, he's, he's got sort of like, not so much a burlap sack, but he's kind of wrapped. I guess it is burlap, but he's wrapped in yeah. some sort of... So there's that. So we've got that incarnation of Jason. And then... Later on, it's just so perfunctory. After he kills, well, the totemic, he gets the mask. Yeah, yeah. But, I just... You know, in part three, it was different because in part three, when he acquired the mask, he had killed Shelley the prankster, and Shelley was wearing the mask. <laughs> yeah, earlier. he had it coming. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he was wearing the mask because he was using that as a yeah. to scare people. And when Jason killed Shelley, then he took the mask put it on to conceal his identity. I don't even know why Jason has to conceal his identity, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, there's I a mean, lot of inconsistencies yeah, with exactly. his backstory. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. So he put on the mask and that became iconic and that was the end of that. But in this one, so he kills... Uh, Some hillbilly, yeah, in a shack. No, but wasn't the... Was it hillbilly? Or was it, I, I, I don't know. Anyway. It, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he just sees the mask. There's yeah. a mask, he puts it on, and that's that. There's no rhyme, there's no reason. It's like, here, now you got Jason the mask. And the rest of the film is completely perfunctory. Um, picking them off one by one. You're going to have the two most virtuous characters putting up most of the fight. They yeah. all add another wrinkle of Jason taking a hostage. That was a little bit... Yeah, yeah again, again, playing against type and not in keeping with character. But again, uh, maybe a hypothetical. We can discuss it now. Like If we were to reboot this, you know, what would you discard and what you would, would you retain from the Camp Crystal Lake lore? Because it seems to me that to go into this backstory where he sees his mom get butchered, this whole backstory uh, that they explored with Mike Mike Myers as well, with his sleazy stripper family in the 2007 Rob Zombie Mm -hmm. uh, redo, like... Uh, that stuff does not appeal to me as much. I like the fact, again, like it's an urban legend of a guy in the woods, and, and yeah, you had the mom and then you have him, but you don't need any of this stuff, really. There's there's tweaks you can make, mm-hmm. and there's ways around uh, trying to explain it away and doing well, all the this stuff. Well, the whole Jason, you know, avenging his mother's death and whatnot, I mean, that is part of the mythos from the original mm-hmm. canonical Friday 13th, so I feel like you sort of have to have that. Jason is like your ultimate mama's boy, uh, you need to have the counselors that didn't, um, that were negligent and allowed him to drown and that sort of stuff, and the vengeful mother. So I, I can't really suggesting it, though. But what what they did jettison in this that I think made at least at least the first um, four Fridays, so or at least, let's say maybe even the first three, let's just say, so effective is the counselors. You need a summer camp. <laughs> yeah. you know, here there was Camp Crystal Lake, and that's where Jason's subterranean lair and shack or what have you was, but this has to happen while camp is in session. Well, of course, because under their watch, under their auspices, he drowned, so, I mean, or, or whatever, it, like, you can't, and, and yeah, they just, they, they felt like it was a perfunctory reference to this, and again, like, uh, uh, at the campfire, retelling this tall tale, but really, not much is new that's added here, and... and An abandoned Camp Crystal Lake that's inoperative is just, it, it's... Cliché? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not, it's not as frightening as, you know, here's counselors, here's... Well, okay, well, sometime, uh, in part two, they were basically, it was pre-camp, it was before the campers came, but like, for example, in part six, which I really like, I think it's really 
one of the most underrated in the series, uh, Jason Lives. Um, you know, it's the camp is in operation. Jason's slaughtering the counselors. The campers are ter- young kids, you know, terrified out of their wits. Yeah. Fantastic. You don't have that in this one because first you have weed poachers, and then you got just your standard, let's go up to the cabin in the woods, my father's cabin, and let's smoke as much pot as possible, mm. drink as much booze, and that's it. And, and then you have also another added element of the character played by Jerry Padalecki, and he's looking for his sister, Whitney, who yeah. disappeared in the earlier massacre. Yeah, Whatever. it's just an excuse to have him have a personal tie to her and have someone, an investigative force, going up there. So that's, I guess, the a new element of someone trying to solve this who's not just cops who happen upon the massacre post hoc, which is what usually happens in Friday. So, yeah, that's new, I guess. Is it necessary? No. Mm. Now, I talked about, you know, Jason being different in the sense that he's not methodical, he's fast, he's he's definitely not a zombie like the Kane Hodder Jason, so he is more like the, you know, human Jason of, let's say, one through four, uh, but his physicality is interesting because that, that slow, methodical, like, yeah. he's just you know coming at you relentlessly not running after you it's like Jason he doesn't need to run he's going to get you no matter what you can run but Jason's going to you know he'll he'll take his own sweet time and get you hey, yeah. um, the producers wanted that What I, I think I read somewhere that they actually wanted Jason to be almost more like a survivalist type character hmm. and then when they enroach upon him on his land or what have you then he springs into action but that was contradicted because in many ways he was going after um, some of the victims in very sadistic ways now the actor that played Jason was Derek Mears. And that was his first and only time donning the mask. And by all accounts, Derek Mears is one of the nicest men in Hollywood. I've never had the opportunity to meet him, but people that have at various conventions have to say, the guy is just so, so nice. And he's a good guy, and I feel for him, because I feel that he had the physicality in, the, in, the, in, in his stature, and I, I just feel that he deserved a good franchise. He deserved a sequel. He deserved to play Jason again, but they didn't give him a good movie. So he got cheated out of, you know, becoming... He, he ended up becoming relegated just in a footnote <laughs> as just yet another actor that played... Like, for, for example, um, Ken Kersinger that played Jason in uh, Freddy vs. Jason, just a one-and-done. Mm-hmm. And I think that Derek Mears, I mean, for some reason, Kane Hodder, he always gets... His, his uh, panties in a, in a twist every time a different actor plays Jason. He's like, I'm Jason, I'm the only actor that can play Jason. Well, whatever, Carrie. You know, keep on choking uh, fans at conventions, <laughs> and, you know, putting them in hospitals. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, Derek Mears, he, he I, I don't like his Jason, but I don't think it's his fault. I think it's the, the director, the producer, Marcus Nispel. I think that's the direction they gave him. And yeah, the blame lies at his feet as well as Michael Bay. And yeah, you mentioned Freddy versus Jason. That at least had atmosphere to spare. Mm-hmm. Uh, having not seen that when it originally came out, I was really reticent to do so because uh, my school of thought: anything with verses in the title is probably bad. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that to the extent I did not think I would. Here, it's just your, and I think Nispel has background in uh, music video, mm-hmm. so you get all that aesthetic of quick cuts and flashes and and. Just uh, stuff that'll induce seizures, and I don't—I didn't think he created uh, as good an atmosphere as he could have, uh, with the exception of I think one kill, which was really neat, and I thought this 
was a neat throwback to the original where it was the dock scene where the woman gets macheted through the head when she's under the dock mm -hmm. and you get you see from the perspective of someone in the water looking up through the slats through through the wood of the dock and you see the Jason's boots and I thought that was really cool and then boom uh, the machete goes into her head pulls her up yeah. so you can mm -hmm. see her tits of course and no, it's that, that we, was, we didn't see her tits well yeah she was wakeboarding nude for, yeah. for three minutes but, but there was there was a few like interesting kills but, enough, that actress uh, her name is Willa Ford and she was a failed pop singer I remember, around, I remember. Yeah, yeah, around the time of, you know, Britney and Christina mm -hmm. and Jessica Simpson, whatever, here comes Willa Ford, and her, I guess her gimmick was she was going to be more sexy, more out there, more, you know, in your face, and she never reached any No, it was like Hulk Hogan's daughter, like yeah, it was exactly. barely a blip on the pop culture so, landscape. So but. And I guess she figured that, okay, well, hey, I'm sexy Willa Ford, I'm not going to <laughs> get into the, into the movie business, and... Uh, play a victim. She also did a Playboy spread at the same time that this film mm. came out and I, she, I think she thought that, that would catapult her into some sort of level of stardom but I think the next time we're going to see Willa Ford is on some episode of Wife Swap or something. Yeah, yeah like, I was thinking, yeah. You know, Jimmy Walker no, she's not even you know? dancing with the stars uh, caliber. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jimmy Walker's girlfriend. Is he still alive, Jimmy Walker? I, yeah, I think know. so, yeah. Okay, yeah, anyway. Oh, uh, so I guess we can get into what we've learned. Yeah, I guess I can start is... is uh, Having O'Courant pop references dates your movie so badly mm -hmm. in a way that uh, the series is not known for that. Like, hey, have you heard the new Cindy Lauper tune? No, like none of that. <laughs> it, like Crystal Lake is its, is its own entity, yeah. and here you have a reference to GPS. It's like, whoa, GPS, GPS, GPS. Which subsequently, no one has a GPS. It's part of your phone. So that's but dead. Back then, so I know, but back then you can still like you don't need to talk about the latest and greatest because mm -hmm. something will be gone. It was not integral to the plot other than some con cipher, I guess, for some guy to talk about it around the campfire. And, and also, like, a, a dis really a revolting and over-the-top product placement in a way that, again, the beginning, the earlier incarnations did not have. So you have this Oh, Paps Blue Ribbon, like, what do you drink that, like, Heineken Euro queer beer or whatever it was? Like, Heineken, PBR, uh, Actually, be honest I don't even you, know, like, like I, what I, the hell, you know? I was reading the trivia on IMDb, and that line was actually an homage, I believe, to Blue Velvet. Where oh, for Hopper's, fuck's sake, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know but why. But you would never accuse that movie of product placement, because that made Paps Blue Ribbon what it is, because it was so unlike what that character would drink the frank from that movie like there's no way but yeah that, that was really really ridiculous like that there's so many things that soured me on this it's almost hard to know where to where to begin i mean i guess you have just a wealth of material you can draw from what did you learn well yeah again talk about technology and you know again it's that obligatory like, the minute that they get to the cabin I'm not getting a signal. Is anybody yeah, getting yeah, a signal? Yeah. No signal. No signal. Okay, and check. Yeah, rid check. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in this day and age, I don't think there's any place on this planet where you can't get a signal. So, you know, cell phones have really... Yeah, this sort of challenge when it comes to horror films, you know, because now we are where you... When you're being stalked and sloshed and what have you, I mean, they did have a landline and they did call the cops. The cop. Yeah, <laughs> he's very ineffectual. He, he, yeah, he, he looks like Jimmy Conn. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know they, they always have to explain away why we can't use our cell phones. I just hate that. Oh, no signal, no signal, no signal. You can get a signal anywhere now. You know. Oh, oh yeah, and, and 
it shouldn't even matter, really. And that gets to, it speaks to the, really, the lack of creativity. And the thing I want to get to, another thing I learned is that these kills here were fairly pedestrian. And in our book, Death by Umbrella, The Hundred Weirdest Horror Movie Weapons, like, geez, this is a series known for unique kills. Uh, like, yeah. by fist beheading. Like, it's one of the yeah, classic like Jason Lentogen kills. And Jason X. Oh, I mean, yeah. And, and that's what makes, like, uh, that takes the element of fun that a lot of people don't like horror, don't understand, is, like, when someone is killed in a unique way, you laugh and you're repulsed at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I love that feeling where you're laughing and grossed out. And none of that was, was here. Like, there was a, a scene where he hoists Trent up by his machete and then throws him on the back of a truck that drives away and the truck has some sort of uh, uh, spikes on it to do some sort of farming I forget what exactly and it's like he really just used the machete and there's an axe death of, of the black guy and but there's nothing really uh, really exciting yeah really, a, 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 you know a callback to uh, Kevin Bacon's demise with an arrow, sort of, I guess. Well, that was uh, way better. Man. Yeah, that was, that was way cooler and surprising. Yeah, that was very that, Italian. Yeah. And in this, in, in a way, they just yeah, that whoever that guy was just gets it, and you know. Although I will say, like, that so he's William Tell as a, as an archer, but I mean, yeah. fuck, I will it's, great, say, it's a great shot. I did enjoy the kill. I mean, I guess it was my favorite kill in the entire film. The sleeping bag kill. I even though it was sadistic, it yeah, made me it made me really uncomfortable. I did like the trust that was the intense. Bag, burning yeah. it and then you know beating too. I thought that was that was, was intense. fucking intense. And yeah. So if you're gonna go for if you're gonna go for that intense brutality, keep it consistent throughout the entire movie. But then a lot of the other kills were so quick and perfunctory. Yeah. That whatever um, capital they built up with that first really intense brutal kill was then squandered with just some really yeah. As they're, they're stuck in a gray area. They don't know whether they should go full squalor or just part or part part gross and uh, star rating. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a for this movie, geez, like I don't know. I'm, I'm again thinking back to when I saw it opening weekend, and I was excited for it. I I, pro- I probably would have wanted a proper Friday Thirteenth sequel as opposed to an actual um, remake. I mean, look, we have yet to get to thirteen. That's the thing. The last. We're at well, 11 now, or Well, 12? I mean, it depends if you consider um, Freddy vs. Jason to be, like, canonical or not. Yeah, sure, why not? Okay, so you had um, Manhattan, which was 8. Then you had Jason Goes to Hell, 9. Then you had Jason X, <laughs> which was pretty awful, but good in this. In, it, was, it, was, it was a good, bad movie. That was 10. <laughs> and then you had Freddy vs. Jason, so that was 11. Yeah. So this should have been 12. That's what yeah, I wanted yeah. to have. And then we need to have 13 official... Friday the 13th movies. I have the the box on Blu-ray, so I actually have this movie. It's there. But this is not the 12th movie. This is some stupid, needless, god-awful remake. Uh, but I was excited nonetheless. You know, okay. I always like to see horror movies in the theater, so mm-hmm. I was excited. And yeah, I just remember... Oh, and we. And what about the ending? That was terrible. Because <laughs> yeah. they have to yeah. somehow throw in some sort of homage to the ending of the first Friday the 13th. Of course, yeah. But kind of flip it on its head just a wee bit. But yet again, it was so perfunctory, so cynical, and just so, like, deflating. Even <laughs> yeah. if you enjoyed the movie up to that point, that last little oomph, that exclamation mm. mark at the very end, just made you go, oh, for fuck's sake. So, I, I was depressed then. I haven't revisited the film since. Revisiting it for the purpose of this discussion. It was, a, again, a wholeheartedly depressing experience. I feel bad for Derek Mears. I feel that the you know his reputation as such a nice guy, 
he deserves something better, but I cannot give this film more than one one and a quarter stars. See, yeah, I agree. I give this one and a half Aquafinas out of five because it was another uh, yeah. uh, reference to uh, co- corporate branding because they're talking about how everything's branded crystal, like crystal. Is this crystal, crystal Pepsi, I believe? Uh, yeah, is that one of them? Yeah, yeah, so, so yeah. There's crystal that. meth? No, oh, okay, maybe not that, but yeah, <laughs> one and a half for me. A very uh, a bleak, soul-sucking, depressing experience all around. Mm. But <laughs> you will enjoy our podcast, uploaded every second week. The Really Awful Movies podcast, where we discuss our favorite genre films, predominantly horror. So our check favorite, that out. favorite, and there's sometimes our least Not favorite, so favorite. Like yeah. this one here. And right? of course, check us out at www.reallyawfulmovies.com, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.